Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. Now, this isn't a depressing episode. I just want to start off by saying that, Andres, because I, I, I got to say, there's a lot of negativity in the world right now, and a lot of negativity in and around Chelsea Football Club, which I think is a bit of an overreaction, but we'll get into that in a bit. But I just want your quick thoughts on the last week. Where are you emotionally right now? Obviously, I mean, I'm obviously bummed out. You know, we started so well and, you know, we were in a good run of form and it looked like everybody's doing what the manager was asking of them. But, you know, earlier this season we were talking about like, oh, what's the expectation? I said, well, let's see how December goes. It's it's a tough time for any team and, you know, fatigue breaks in and we're seeing it. It's December. Things are, are getting a little tougher. I mean, I did not expect to lose four out of the last five matches, but it is what it is. And now it's time to find out if this team has some grit and some balls and if they can bounce back. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, look, I just want to I just want to throw this out there. Um, the reason why I am not negative is because we didn't have a transfer window and you would be a fool to assume that this side would have, um, I don't know, the tenacity to go a full season, maintaining that level of football that we were playing when we went on our, what, seven, eight, eight game run where we were just rolling teams left and right. Cause guess what? Half of this side is sorry side. And the other half hasn't even been at the club for a year, or at least in the first team. So a fairly young squad, fairly new squad, but um, let's just get right into this Bournemouth match because we have a different format for today's pod, don't we, Andres? Oh, man, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. So um, really quick, just a just a change uh, compared to what we normally do. We're actually going to be dissecting this Chelsea team as a whole today. So Andres and I... Definitely have a few rants coming up. So we're splitting it up into defense, uh, our midfield, our attack, and also our coaching staff. So we'll get into that in a bit. But uh, just to start, Chelsea nil, Bournemouth won in probably the most boring game I've ever watched in my life. Um, so our starting lineup, we had Keppa in goal, Dave on the right, uh, Emerson back on the left, Rudiger with his first Premier League start in quite some time, Kurt Zuma. Starting right next to him, uh, Fikayo Tomori was injured for this game, so don't get your panties in a bunch, guys. Uh, Jorginho, Conte, and Mount um, in our midfield with William Pulisic and Abraham up top. Now, I just want to throw this out there. This was definitely a 4-2-3-1, wasn't it, Andres? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's what it looked like. So um, I know we're going to get through the whole team, but I want to start with the defending first and foremost. This was one of the first things Frank addressed in the press conference was, you know, uh, the ball would go from center back to center back, out to full back, back to center back, then to the other center back. And it just seemed like a revolving cycle of every single one of our back four touching the ball and then one of Rudiger or Zuma clipping a 70-yard ball into the stands. That's just what it seemed like to me in this match. Um, so, I mean w- – just starting with the selection, Emerson, Dave, obviously the fullbacks. Reese James takes a seat. Initial reactions? Uh, I think maybe slightly. First off, it's the exact same back four as midweek. We had a very 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Mentally fatiguing game against Lille. Had a 2-0 lead. They scored late, and then we were with our backs against the wall for the remaining of the time. So you're asking these guys to play again after that kind of made themselves their li- own lives hard midweek. Mm-hmm. I think that on top of that, we've now seen that a two-man midfield doesn't help these guys play out of the back. It just doesn't. It hasn't in recent form. Us. Yeah. Yeah. So for one, when their long ball isn't working, because you said it, every long ball was way harder than they usually are. They don't know how to play out of the back if they're not getting the help from that midfield three. And so it was very repetitive in possession. We looked awful. And, yeah, I mean, I I don't know at this point. I don't know what Reese James did recently to not be allowed to play in this game because, again, it's December. I don't care if the back four played perfectly last week. This is what what was Bournemouth before this game? 16th, 17th place, had lost five games in a row. Reese James should be playing in this game if he's got the fresh legs. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I I I don't know, man. I I have the same sentiment. And look, um, I don't hate Emerson. I don't hate him as a footballer. I don't dislike him for this Chelsea team. But is he really that type of left back that this squad needs? Is he the quality of left back that this squad needs? I'm not so sure. You throw Dave on the left-hand side, that means you could insert Reese James on the right. What does that bring to the table for us? Crosses. Chances created. The willingness and the ability to get up the line, get in good attacking positions, and just clip balls into the box. Because sometimes when teams put all 11 players behind the ball, sometimes all you need to do is just clip something into the box and get a lucky bounce. Or maybe Tammy could make a clever run and Reese reads it. Those, those, Those types of opportunities that he creates from those inside positions when he makes those inverted underlaps almost where he's kind of at the top at the corner of the 18 yard box they talk about it all the time that's one of the most difficult balls to defend and an abornment back line that's banged up and a forward that scores as many goals as tammy abraham i mean that combination kind of has to be on the field every single game for me now um i'm gonna make this argument a lot in this podcast so just a disclaimer all right andres but I firmly believe that when the squad is going through a dip in form, the best players have to play regardless of fatigue, regardless of fitness. You got to get your best players on the pitch and you got to get a result. You got to grind. And 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 for me, the team selections, it just doesn't seem like uh Frank is doesn't seem like Frank's letting these guys grind. Um so uh I I mean that that that's kind of my thoughts on on the whole outside back thing. Now, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Emerson a little bit. He had a chance. He literally Better. could have put it anywhere, anywhere uh, besides the keeper's gloves. Um, right. What did we make of his performance as a whole? Um, did you see him as an impactful player or someone that um, if he wasn't in the lineup, we'd be missing out on? Because for me, it just doesn't – he just seems like a neutral footballer. He just gives you consistent sixes and sevens. Yeah, I – the one thing right now – and I think this this goes for Emerson, I think, because he was gone for a while and he started so well. Right now, I think he's not thinking team first. I think that right now it's it's all about what I can do, what, I, what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, mm-hmm. not what's going on around him. So, yeah, 
I, I think he loses his ability to make an impact by playing almost selfishly with how he wants to play on and off the ball. Uh, he definitely should have finished. I mean, when you're that close, you, you got to score. score you got to score. There. I, and I I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If Reese James is on the right and Aspie's making that run on the left, that's in the back of the net. Yeah. Different no, game. Agreed. I, I think – and if it was a forward, if it's a winger, we'd still be complaining about the fact that that, goal, that ball didn't go in yeah, the back of the yeah. net. So Anybody this isn't needs, some yeah. sort of bias. But yeah. I think that – Right now, what's going on, and, and I'm getting, I'm gonna go broad here because it's not just Emerson, but I think that these players are getting comfortable. I think that some of these players at the beginning of the season, it's a new manager, we don't really know what he wants to do, but now the squad's kind of settled. A few people have been out of the side, and this place is mine to lose. Marcus Alonso is no longer even in contention, so I'm just gonna put a five out of ten performance. Or five out of ten effort. There's another game next week, and I always complained about this with pre- previous managers because there was a feeling that these players knew that they would outlast the manager. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit different this time because you mentioned it. We didn't have a transfer window. We've had injuries, so Frank doesn't have the ability to not play certain players. In this case, we mentioned for some reason we we both expected it to be Reese on the right, Aspie on the left. In this case, it was Emerson. Mm-hmm. I think that this is happening also with someone like Mason Mount, where mm-hmm. these guys just think, I'm going to walk into the side. I'll try here and there. And unfortunately, this is the Premier League. And we are at the point in the season where every team is trying to, whether you're at the top, you're trying to stay in the top four. Whether you're at the bottom, you're trying to get out of the bottom three. So, yeah, I, I think Emerson is one of the players that I'll be discussing as like playing too individualistic. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows what Pulisic can do, how he can combine, how he's honestly, Pulisic has not been the kind of player to be selfish in this team at all. So yeah. why not combine with the guy? Why not make your life easier? One, two passes. Haven't seen those in a while from Emerson with the winger, which in his case, it's Pulisic. Um, yeah, see, yeah, that's the thing that bothered me was Emerson just seemed to have this unwillingness to get rid of the ball at, at times, especially when. When, when he has time and space on the ball and time to think, he almost overthinks and he overcomplicates things. Too many stepovers or he takes one touch too many or he misses the first pass and tries the, and tries a home run instead of a base hit. It just – it's frustrating for me, especially knowing that a guy like Reese James is on the bench. Now, it's, it's not a bias like you said, Andres. It, it really isn't. But I'm talking about this whole Chelsea team as a whole. How, how does Emerson – complement this Chelsea team what does he bring to the table that no other player could bring to the table and (laughs) and there's your answer and and that's my problem he's a neutral footballer he he just seems like a neutral footballer he's a squad player at the end of the day he's a squad player he had a very good run of form to start the season yeah don't get me wrong he's better than Alonso but that doesn't mean much to me like personally that doesn't mean much to me as a left back he's better than Alonso well, Alonso's Correct. not even a left back yeah, yeah exactly so th- that's that like I said in terms of the the defense man I like the two center backs they also have to do a little bit more I mean I I emphasized it I think it was last week or maybe it was a week before when I talked about the need for a leader like I know Rudiger's been out but he's still the voice of this team and and you need to get your shit together and and organize your back line whether it's pushing your outside backs forward to get a little bit more possession or getting better organized or, or getting your back line to push forward and when the ball 
getting cleared. Something the, the center back position for me is frustrating right now because it sounds like every one of our center backs right now is, is waiting for the the first string center back to come out. Yeah, at this and- point at this point I was thinking Rudiger was immediately gonna, you know, put on the hard hat and the, this is this is what we're gonna do and this is how we're gonna play, and I'm gonna be the guy that gets everything going. But the more I think about it, while he's a vocal guy, I don't think Rudiger's ever been asked to be the number one guy. He is kind of the echo to the energy in a sense. Like Yeah. And and that's why I, I know my my pipe dream of of Koulibaly gets more and more intense as the weeks go by because we need a guy who's going to just like grab everyone by the scruff of the neck. Like I was, you know, it's, it's the end of 29. We're approaching the end of 2019. Everybody's doing like premier league team of the decade and blah, 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 blah. And all I could think about is like, man, John Terry, like someone like that would be so nice to have again. Yeah. It'd but be it's, easy, so nice it's, to have. it's easy for a Chelsea fan to go ahead and say that we've been spoiled. Well, and okay, right, right. Like, but but I'm thinking the difference between us, what well, right now, our our core group of guys right now, the difference between us and I don't know, I'm gonna throw this out, Real Madrid today. Not mm-hmm. the, the 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 Galactico Madrid, the one today, the one that plays the Valverdes, the one that plays, you know, these the mix of young guys with old guys. Yeah. They their their team, individually speaking, is slightly better than ours, but they have a Sergio Ramos that's gonna fucking kick your ass and get you in line to do something like yeah. we don't, we don't have that in our back four. We don't have that in our back five because there's other teams that have it from somewhere else. Like Bayern Munich has Manuel Neuer screaming the whole damn time. They used to have a guy named Oliver Kahn that did that. Barcelona mm-hmm. went from Puyol to PK. Like elite teams have that. It, hell, they, elite teams <laughs> have elite leaders. I year old guy in the league doing it. Yeah. Like somebody, there has to be a manager on the pitch. Well, well, that's what was frustrating. So I didn't necessarily think Rudiger and Zuma were bad. I just didn't – they just didn't blow me away. And to be honest, they really didn't have much to do most of the match besides Zuma making a couple really nice tackles. But – Yeah. You so know, again, Zuma shouldn't have been put in that position exactly, if, exactly. if Rudiger would have done his part. So, yeah, yeah. go on. Sorry. I mean, no, no, no. It's, it's all good. But, but, but that's what I'm saying. You know, Rudiger came back into the side, and we were talking last week – Let's see what kind of impact he'll have mentally on the players. What kind of impact will he have just knowing that he's manning the back line and that he has things under control? I didn't really see him grab the game by the scruff of the neck. And we had all three of our supposed, and quote-unquote, we had two of our official captains and one unofficial captain out there in Rudiger now. And these are the three guys that Chelsea fans are talking about leading the club. I didn't see any evidence of that elite, alpha mentality i just didn't see it out there and all three of our supposed captains were on the pitch at the same time and it's not a criticism just on rudiger it also goes for david Jorginho. also there were times in this match where rudiger and would... william if you want to add him he's worn yeah. the band too yeah yeah exactly well william as a captain is just kind of <laughs> a farce isn't it but like you know we're, we're looking at a guy like rudiger during the game would receive the ball with time and space he'd pick up his head and Jorginho would be standing about 15 yards away from him with his hands in the air and rudiger would go ahead and just clip a 40 yard ball over his head and and, and Jorginho is just kind of standing there like dude what the fuck like this is literally the reason why i'm in the team is so you can give me the ball whenever you get it 
and I'll keep th- I'll keep everything ticking. And, and it ju- it just seemed like they were all on a different page. But it does kind of tie into, um, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, Andres, because I do want to move on to the midfield now that I mentioned Jorginho. Um, I think we could all agree. Uh, I, I our back four in a perfect world with this squad is Reese James on the right, Dave on the left, and Rudy and uh, Tamori in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with that right now. I need. I need a little bit more of a calming presence. I know Zuma's a monster athlete, but whether it's him with Rudiger, whether it's him with Christensen, something's something's still missing there. And yeah. he was playing his best when he was next to Tomori. Yeah. I now he's playing on the left center back and Rudiger on the right center back. He had been playing as the right center back. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah. I, I'm with you. It's gotta be Dave on the right, Reese on the left. Or sorry, Dave on the left, Reese on the right, and yeah. Rudiger Tomori. So um let's get into this midfield. Uh, we had Conte, Jorginho, and Mount. Um, Conte and Jorginho playing a double pivot. Again, not really working to any uh, any sort of effect there. Um, I guess the most telling stat of the day or of the match was uh, the fact that our midfield only had two shots uh, between the three of them. All match. And we played with a natural 10. So just to kind of give you some perspective there. Right. Um, does our midfield have an identity crisis? Because that's what it seems like. It, 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 sorry, uh, I, I, I want to kind of elaborate on that question. Um, we're seeing two different midfields that Frank has deployed. We're seeing a double pivot and a 10, and we're seeing the standard diamond uh, three in the middle when we play our 4-3-3 with, you know, Jorginho sitting in and Kovacic and Mount or Kovacic and Conte playing that dual eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um I, th- I I think we have an identity crisis. The reason why I ask this is because it just seems like certain players in our midfield, and yes, I am talking about N'Golo Conte, it seems like they don't really understand or have a bona fide role within the squad. It doesn't seem clear to me that, it, that, that Conte specifically has any idea what he's supposed to do on the pitch. I, I mentioned to, to this to you off air. I think right now there is something going on with the midfield because we weren't having these sort of spatial possession issues in the 4-2-3-1 when Conte was injured. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that we're a better team without Conte. I just think that Jorginho and Kovacic had an understanding of what each of them had to do in this role as a transitioning the ball from the back to the front. Mm-hmm. And for one, that made the life together. They made the the back fours line life easier as well as Mason mounts. I think now we've seen it, the double pivot be Conte Kovacic and now Conte Jorginho. And both those times in recent time, it has not worked well. I mentioned it last week. I also don't think that Mason mount has quite the, the IQ yet to realize that sometimes he has to drop further back to get the ball, which only hurts that sort of build up as well. And it's just, Conte There's about just, 25 yards between yeah. our, our pivot and our 10. It, well, right. And then, again, Conte seems to be just kind of hanging out on that right side, which only makes me think that, uh, you know, maybe at practice it's still a 4-3-3, and he, he's expecting somebody to hold that central spot more, and, and he just has to kind of drift wide between the right center back and the right back. I, I don't understand that yet. I think, you know – I, it's no secret that I like the 4-3-3 with this kind of team better. I think that Mason Mount has the right capabilities to be 
playing as one of the box-to-box players. We don't have to shoehorn him into just a 10. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he did that for, for Lampard at, at Derby. So there's no need to, to continue to do that if it's not working. It hasn't been working recently. There's a reason we've lost the last couple of games. And the last two times that we lost, I mentioned the double pivot is not working. So, yeah, I think that there is a bit of an identity crisis. The The midfield midweek looked a lot more comfortable when it was a midfield three of Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic. Well, well, that. well, that's our best midfield. Uh, and, and when you and when you think about it, you know, just based on uh, on on the players' traits and and what they're good at and what they're um, and 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 how they could complement each other, our best midfield three is Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic. You can have Conte sitting in, knocking people around, nicking the ball off of attackers, servicing Jorginho and Kovacic, who could kickstart a counterattack or jumpstart an attack in general. And, you know, you can you can have Conte sitting in with Jorginho and Kovacic playing on the sides of him, just distributing and breaking through the lines and finding seams in the opposition's defense. There yeah, are yeah. other there are other options. And what I'm not seeing is the tactical flexibility that that I'm just not seeing these players go out. These players go out there and perform a specific role. I don't see things happening in repetition. I don't see Jorginho dropping in to collect the ball in between the two center backs anymore. That doesn't happen. I don't see Conte running around nicking the ball off attackers. He, that's what he's good at. That's what he is best at. I feel like his talent is wasted if you're not using him for that role specifically. And Conte, let's be honest, he's not an individual player. He's a team player. He's a squad player. You give him a role and he will do it to the T, a 10 out of 10. You got to get, you got to simplify things for him now. Under Conte, he had one role and one role only. Win the ball and give it to Sesk. And that worked perfectly. Why can't we have that same exact kind of, um, um, you know, a, a chemistry or game plan between him and a player like Jorginho, who is identical to Sesk in terms of playing style, but a much, much better defender? It, 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 it's kind of confusing to me. I mean, there are options here, um, but but something that I want to touch on, and I I want to hear your input on this too, is what I'm seeing with Frank's team selections is there's no consistency, and I don't and and, and to be an elite side, to be a top side in a Premier League, a top four side even, you have to have consistency and you have to have chemistry between your team between yourself and your teammates and if the manager is chopping and changing the squad every single match there's no uh they don't go through a run of five six seven matches on the spin where they're all playing next to each other and they're ticking and they can pass the ball with their eyes closed they're not at that point and they don't have that type of chemistry yet and maybe that you could chalk that down to frank's inexperience as a manager maybe Mm -hmm. as a player he never took notice of how long it takes to truly establish that kind of chemistry. Because, I mean, let's be honest, when Frank broke through, he was breaking through with world-class players by his side. A lot of these young Chelsea players, the only world-class player next to them is Conte. You know, yes. and, 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 and may, may, maybe that has something to do with it. Is, is he asking the midfield to do too much, or is he not asking them to do enough? So here's how I see it. Um... The first season Pep Guardiola took uh, Man City, took over at Man City, they ended up, I believe, in third or fourth place. And in that season, for about six different weeks, Pep Guardiola 
tried a different formation and different yep. group of players each week. Yep. What did he tried do the next season? 4-3-3 every single match. And multiple players were asked to do different things. Bernardo Silva was not just a winger. He would also drop back and play in the midfield three. Same with David Silva. Sterling would either play a number nine or at the wing. Uh, yeah. Gundogan would play as a six or as an eight. You don't need to change how you line up to... I think it's been in three matches we've gone from four two three one to four three three back to four two three one. Again, it's okay for Mount to be the most offensive in a midfield three, like that's totally fine. There, you don't need to. When you have a, a limited group of players, which we do, and again, these guys just started playing together this season because we've brought in a bunch of academy players back, and let me tell you, they didn't just play together the academy last year. They've all been in different teams. Uh, Tammy at Aston Villa, Reese James at Wigan, Mount mm-hmm. at Derby, Tamori and Mount. They were the only two that were together. But these guys were spread out across England. Mm-hmm. They're coming back together for the first time. They now need to mesh with a group of players who are playing differently after Sorry for the first time. Just make it a little bit easier on them. Are we going to get, quote-unquote, a little bit more predictable? Maybe. But, again, the thing I argue about the 4-3-3 if they're going to focus on Kovacic's side of the pitch, Conte gets to move forward a little bit more. There's mm-hmm. there's a way of counterbalancing that. And now I wanted to touch on the fact you mentioned that we only took two total shots from, from midfield. I'm going to go back to the same thing I mentioned with Emerson. There's a level of comfort from Mount now where he, he thinks he needs to dribble the ball into the back of the net. At the beginning of the season, Mount was trying to make things happen because he wasn't sure he was going to play every week. Yeah, We haven't seen Mount score in a while because he hasn't been taking any risks. He's trying to find the perfect shot and he's touching the ball three times too many. I have yet to see Mount take a good shot from outside the box in a while because he's been doing this dribbling. Locker. Yeah. yeah, he had, exactly. You know, we always thought, okay, Barkley's got a shot from outside the box. Obviously, he does Barkley it. is... <laughs> we, well, it's not that he does, he's just not the player we thought he'd be. But Kovacic recently is pulling the trigger. If you're playing in a midfield two... Conte is not as close to the outside of the box as he usually is in a 4-3-3. So that's another guy that sometimes takes that shot. That's now further back. And let's be real, Jorginho, he's never around that area. And when he is, exactly. So the lack of shots from outside the box, well, that's maybe part of the way we keep setting up. And again, when we keep switching it back and forth between the 4-3-3 and the 4-2-3-1, we don't, the the midfielders are kind of trying to figure out what to do. They just are. Because midweek, you ask uh, Conte to play as a right center mid, and now you're asking him to play in a double pivot. So he's not as wide, he's not as far forward, and he has a totally different set of rules to go by. Yeah. It just, I don't know. For me, he needs to stick with a three and play them week in and week out and create that chemistry, create that rapport. And maybe Mount being taken out of the firing line and out of the first 11 for a couple matches will actually do his confidence some good. And, and maybe, I'm not even asking for him to not play Mount. I'm just saying, like, establish what you want your midfield three to do. Yeah, not like, yeah. Not simplify point, things, yeah. Right, not to the point where, where Sari was like, okay, you do this specifically. You can only be, not like that, yeah. but like, okay, you have your one guy that's more of the, you know, the orchestrator in Jorginho. We know Kovacic could also do that if needed. But then you're also you have these two other midfielders who are supposed to be the ones that 
are pressing high. They're they're the ones that are breaking the lines. Like make those just generic set of rules a done deal, and then let them go out. And when whether it's going to be a midfield three of Conte, Jorginho, Kovacic, or a midfield three of maybe Mason, Jorginho, and 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 Conte, or hell, lost his yeah. cheek when he gets healthy. They'll know what's kind of expected of them. I'm not yeah. saying that they're going to all look the exact same because each player has their own little flair and their own little thing that they do differently. But at least in general, it'll look the same. Again, I'm going to use Man City and and Liverpool for that matter as an example. You have Fabinho at the okay, base or okay. Henderson at the base. I, 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 I gotta I gotta stop you because I think I think I think Liverpool is a little different. I think Liverpool's midfield is constructed specifically to complement that front three. Okay, okay, but the, they but do the, all the, the running point for the I'm front three. I'm trying to three. make is but, but, the, the but, three the three guys yeah. you don't see Fabinho doesn't play 100% of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh Keita doesn't definitely doesn't play 100% of the games, but when they do get called to do that, even Milner, Milner plays like five positions, but when he gets called to play in the midfield, they know what they're supposed to do no matter what, and you don't see Liverpool changing their formation every week. They rarely go to the 4-2-3-1 again. Rarely. But when they do, it's like an established set of rules, and it's because they've had the same core group of players now for three or four seasons. Yeah. Like, no. that's the one thing that I think Sorry kind of ex- wanted to explain, but he was kind of too much into his own head to, to do correctly, is that start with one thing, get it right, and then you can add variety. Yeah. I, I, makes sense. I mean, it, it, it seems like common sense also, doesn't it? Like, you know, yeah. if something's not working, pick a system, stick with it, teach them exactly how to play that system, regardless of whatever three positions you're playing in in that midfield three. Sort of like, yeah, I mean, you brought up Ajax. Look how they chop and change their systems all the time. I mean, they got left backs going into into defensive midfield roles. They got... Uh, uh, attacking mids playing out wide on the wings and there's constant rotation dudes on Tadic has been quietly the most underrated number nine in Europe probably one of the best finishers in Europe in the last two seasons and he's not even a natural nine <laughs> but he's in a system where everybody knows their role where everybody understands what they're supposed to do and how they could complement the team playing in all 11 positions I'm not saying Frank needs to to get out on a training pitch and drill the 4-3-3 and nothing else, but maybe some cohesion with that midfield three, maybe some understanding of, okay, we need to find a way to to apply pressure, cover, and balance all at the same time instead of constant pressure or constant cover. You know, it, it just seems like too much of one thing and not enough of another thing. Like this match, I understand that Frank wanted to be on the front foot, so he played Mount at the number 10. But what that did is it actually isolated Tammy Abraham because when Mount would drop in to collect the ball, we weren't able to keep possession. Abraham was stuck between four or five different defenders. Or when Mount would push up, it would leave Jorginho and Conte with way too big of a gap to play him in defeat. And it just it, – it, it seems – counterproductive to play the number 10 at this point. I think the midfield three has to be the way to go. Um, it, 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 I know I sound like a natural or a natural, like a modern footballista, but I mean, it's, it is what it is. That's a system that's worked for us. And that's a system that has to be played match in and match out. Um, I want to get into the attack a little bit. Um, William, Tammy and Pulisic. I mean, that seems to be our front three. 
Um, right. Callum, Callum Hudson Adoy is really just kind of nowhere to be found in this. So, so, so that's kind of where I want to kick this conversation off. Um, we talked about it before the season started, um, or actually when he first came back from injury and we even mentioned it last week, Cho looks good physically. He looks phenomenal. The way he has transformed his body coming into this season is, is remarkable. And, and I applaud him for it. I really do. Now, the reason why he's not playing well, the reason why he's not playing, I believe, has nothing to do with his body. Because he still has that explosive step. If anything, he looks stronger than he did before. Um, but for some reason, we're not seeing that young 18-year-old who we used to sub in in Europa League matches who would bang in a goal, quick highlight play. Uh, dribble a couple defenders, get the crowd excited, get the crowd on their feet, and just mix things up and come off the field with an absolute yeah. killer look on his face. We just don't see that Callum Hudson-Odoi anymore. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know if it's chalked off to the injury, which is totally reasonable. And yes, we did say we weren't going to see the best of him for a year. Maybe some of it could be uh, the fact that Frank can't necessarily give him as much TLC as he would like because, I mean, he has to give TLC to all these young guys. So maybe there's not enough love to go around. I don't know what it is, but 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 what are you seeing in Callum Hudson Adoy that just isn't clicking at the moment? So I definitely think the injury has played a mental aspect in this game. Yeah, I also sure. one thing that I also was thinking about is like, you know, why is it that, you know, we we aren't seeing these these kind of superb substitution performances? And one thing that just kind of hit me was because I've been I'm watching now the Europe league casually and i've been seeing you know united and and arsenal's teams play in it and it's like you know what the level in the europa league is so subpar it is just so subpar and these young kids know it they know that they've been playing against harder teams in england in their own age group than uh, what a carabag and i don't know any other alzmar az whatever what I'm trying to make is that an 18-year-old out of an academy in England has full knowledge that they can go out there and destroy these teams. I'm, I highly doubt that, uh, what is the guy's name, Saha, Saka, something like that for Arsenal, Sakai. is or, better or, is better than Cho. But right now he looks it because he's in Europa playing against a bunch of scrubs while Cho is now playing actual Premier League teams because, you know, we're asking him to play good teams as well as Champions League quality teams and so I think it's a mix of both there there's been now a jump of talent and we're asking Cho to come in as well as the the injury if you look at his numbers isolated because obviously there's the eye test and then you see his numbers if if you see how much he's performing like per 90 minutes played he still has a better output than what William has been doing all season. <laughs> yeah, well, well which we is know, crazy. We know when 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 Cho gets playing time, he produces the goods, and and, and I think right. that's what's kind of frustrating and because that's that's what I was gonna get at. I think unfortunately we don't have now because we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. We don't have the luxury to be like, all right, Cho, we're gonna play you in the next three matches. Let's get you. Let's get your head right. Let's give you seventy to eighty minutes in each of these matches. Go do your thing. Like get. You know how like certain players just have to start and they warm. They warm up as the game goes yeah, on. Yeah. Maybe that's what he needs because maybe right now he's thinking I only have twenty minutes. 
Polisic and Willian are the starters. So I have to do too much in these 20 minutes to make it happen. Like it's a slightly different mindset to when you, when we put on Mishi, Mishi knows he's going to get 20 minutes each game. And at that point we already have the lead and he's just there to, to finish off a tired defense. Or it's like, damn, you're our last chance. Let's see if you can make something happen to get the three points. I think with Hudson and it's a little bit different because he knows he has a chance to break into the starting 11 while Mishi knows what his role is. So, yeah, I, for me, it's a little bit of, um, I don't really know. I, I, I can't put my finger on it. It, it. It seems like the only excuse really is that it's just a mental thing with him. Right. I mean, he, he did, he did hurt his Achilles via a non-contact, you know, situation on the pitch. Like he literally pivoted to, 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 to take a step and, uh, and, and it popped. So maybe that's in the back of his head. Maybe he's thinking, you know, I had teams like Bayern Munich sniffing around after me, and then I had to have that kind of injury. You know, like I, I, I had the whole, I had the attention of all of Europe. I was looking forward to being a success at Chelsea. Maybe that, maybe there's a little aspect to that. But you know, the reason why I think it's mental is because last season he looked like a killer, and I don't care if it was the Europa League. He still looked like a killer. If you're an 18-year-old scoring in the Europa League, that's still impressive. I don't care if you're on Arsenal or Chelsea. It, 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 it's just one of those things. Now, I understand the Premier League is like a completely different level, and it's it's the upper echelon of, of world football now. But you, in order to make it at a club like Chelsea, you have to set you have to set the world on fire. You have to hit the ground running. And Frank's talked about this before. He plays players based on the way they're training. Now, how true that is at this point, I don't really know. But right. if it is true, even to even to the sm- slightest extent, okay, Cho would at least be getting some starts here and there. I mean, he's been back for what now? Almost two and a half months, and we haven't seen him get a run of games. And he's just yeah, he coming had like off. a slight injury for like a week where he didn't yeah. play, but that was it. And I think it's poor man management on Frank's part to just kind of chuck him in whenever we need a spark because now you're asking a guy that's low on confidence and putting him in a high-pressure situation, which is the last thing you want to be doing. You want to be playing these guys in a situation where you know that they can relax and maybe calm down a little and get their confidence back touch by touch, not throw them in in the 70th minute when we need a nickel goal. And, 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 and that's kind of irresponsible on Frank's part. You know, what was it? He pulled off Willian and Pulisic. And Cho was our only winger on the pitch at the time. Cho was the only player providing any sort of width for us. And he's not even necessarily like a wide player. I talked about it earlier this year. He's more of like an inside inverted winger where like he likes to tuck in and he likes to play close to the striker and play those little layoffs and use his speed to get away from defenders and run at people. Um, so it's it just seems like the manager's not doing the right thing. The player's not in the right state of mind. It just seems like a sour situation at the moment. And I guess that's my overarching theme for the whole podcast because it has sounded negative up to this point. There's, it, it, It's at the moment it just seems sour with him. Now, I want to move on to uh, to, to wait, Tammy. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, you, oh. said, wait, you said you're trying to get negative? Hey! <laughs> I, I joined the call and I just listened quietly for the last – I just wanted did to you just, what Zach had to say. Did you just get back? I'm I'm in the car driving right now, actually. Oh wow! Probably I'm dedication. We're going to a bar right now, so I'm not going to be able to join you guys. 
you probably uh you you probably shouldn't be driving at this point, right, Sam? Why don't you uh tell no, all I'm, of our I'm, lovely I'm, listeners? I'm fine. I'm fine. I only have one beer. <laughs> I'm good. I'm fine. I would never. I, I would never drive drunk. Don't okay, worry. Sam. Um, we, we just got Cho. off. Yeah, Cho. Cho. What wanna, do you I think? I only want to say real quick. Uh, I think the the one issue I have with what you're saying and kind of discrediting, not discrediting, but kind of saying that you're disappointed in the way that uh, Frank has been managing mm. uh, Cho's minutes is just that I think that because Pulisic and William have been playing so good that it does he really hasn't had an opportunity to start to start Cho. Like But have they been playing that well, right Song? But have okay, they been playing that well? Not the last two weeks, okay? If next week he plays Cho if he starts Cho, that, that makes more sense. Because we were in yeah. good form coming up, you know, I mean obviously losing four of our last five matches, that's a different story now at this point. But I think going into those matches, those two were playing on fire. I mean, those guys were Willian has been playing at a level that you know, he was he wasn't making the same mistakes that had always bugged me like the last four or five years that he's been here. You know, so and Pulisic obviously like for me as an American fan, I'd honestly rather watch Pulisic get more run, you know, him being a little bit older as well, you know, like more experienced. I, yeah, exactly. Like I would more rather see him get more run than than Cho, but the thing is now at this point it, it it changes now like what you're saying because of the really really poor performances, and I just want to say one last thing like I, I can't believe that our conversion issue is coming back again this season because last year we had a lot of great chances that we were never able to convert. Right now I think we're like converting like 30% of our chances on target uh something really low like one of the lowest rates well i bet you so, they're taking corner kicks into consideration for that set because we hit the front fucking man every single fucking time yeah, <laughs> yeah and it somehow don't score that's what i'm saying like if, if you guys were i know you guys you said you were talking negative up until now and it is it is a time to be concerned considering like you know where we were top four and we're still top four but i mean what <laughs> But Sheffield is right behind us, not too far, which is pretty funny to say. But still, like, I think I thought a couple weeks ago we were we we were in contention for maybe top two. Like if, you know, like maybe if if Liverpool starts slipping up, because we're still we're not. Are we even halfway through the season right now at this point? Not yet. Yeah, not yet. But yeah, almost like we, we. we still have a lot of time to go. So like, that's why like I thought like it was still possible for us to make, you know, like I, I could totally envision Liverpool choking again. And then if us, you know, going through an amazing route, like, you know, how, how we were looking a couple weeks ago uh, until we started losing a couple matches. Like I thought we had a potential to like maybe win, win the league this no. year. But now I, I thought it was possible, man. Like the one way beer we looking, song. One beer. <laughs> you caught me. You caught me. <laughs> Fuck. All right, I'm pulling over. Then I guess. You, you busted me. It, it, you you really don't you really think like I, I never have said it on the show and I've never vocally expressed my my inside 
like, you know, feeling that it's very possible that we could come back and win. Because the only reason why is because Liverpool was, was in the league. That if is the hottest. If it was Man City in, on top of the table, I would rule us out. But since it's been, it was Liverpool on top of the table, I I would not rule out them choking and, and losing the lead and us, you know, playing and keeping up in good form and just getting results, you know, somehow a miracle. I mean, is speaking that... of miracle... Speaking of miracle, Bayern Munich coming up, we're going to be getting another miracle. Here's, the, that here's that yeah, shot right. of positivity the podcast needed. No, look, no, seriously though, like he he does have a point. Look, we're in the top four, and we're in a round of sixteen for the Champions League. If I told you that in August, way back right. in August, if I, I if I handed that. you a piece of paper that said top four and round of sixteen. Would you take it now, or would you I, rather I, see the season out? You would bite someone's fucking hand off to get oh, that. I'll take it, but yeah, yeah I'm also going to tell some there's zero chance we win this league because we are 20 <laughs> points behind Liverpool. And oh, we are yeah, now. Points, and we're 10 points I think, behind Leicester. I think Psalm's referring now, to, like, the good old days of – I think Psalm's referring to the good old days of thrashing wolves and, you know. The, it's the December – we have a December slump every season. We – we yeah. had a moment in time this season where we had more confidence than any other fucking club out there. Like, is that not right or wrong? There was a point in time where I did say that no other club in England is in a better position looking right. into their future than Chelsea. Exactly. Well, yeah, in the future. And I still maintain that, that point. That doesn't necessarily mean this season, obviously. No, 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 no. It doesn't. But I still I maintain know. that point. You know? It was it, it was never it was never uh like you know, like a thought that really came to surface. It was just a deep-rooted thing that I had in the back of my yeah. mind. Like, I wouldn't rule it out completely. Now, at this point, I think with our tough stretch, I think this was the more realistic kind of season that I should have. And I did. I really expected it to happen, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, what? Like, the last two matches uh, was, what, Bournemouth and uh, what was the week before? Everton. Everton. I mean... Oh. Those were two really, really bad losses that if it were for any other top four team, it would be a tragedy. But for us, because of the context of the season, it's kind of more understandable. You know what I mean? Isn't it isn't it crazy to think, okay, because I, I want to move on to talk about, you know, the manager and, and, and Frank and Jody and their influence and impact on the team up to this point. There are actually people out there that are hashtag Frank out. And the, just the fact that I'm even seeing that hashtag, is it makes me sick. Too soon. And, and I'm telling... And I'm just a public Meanwhile, service he announcement. Has a fucking season. I know it's, it's ridiculous. You can't even give him one transfer window, Sam. How yeah, about that? Exactly. <laughs> the guy hasn't had a transfer window. Oh the guy is missing. The guy is missing. You know, probably his best attacking midfielder. Um, Don't worry. Hey, when we sign Wolfie Zaha, his best for center 50 back mil, for most of the season up to this when point. When we sign Zaha for fifty mil, the haters will be gone, man. When we sign Zaha for fifty million, the haters will be silenced because they'll see that Zaha is not the fucking answer to this team. And, and when we Zaha is not of, the answer. When we to this finally team. get rid of Kurt Zuma, the guy who that's who's been the, the the problem for us this season, right? Kurt Zuma, that's the guy <laughs> we should point our fingers to. Well, uh, here's, I'm, sub, here's I'm what sub I was tweeting someone right now, and only these two people know who I'm talking about. Well, I'm going to talk about Frank right now, and I think 
we talked, we met, you alluded to it earlier, Zach, where at the beginning of the season, he, we definitely believed when he said the guys training and playing the best will play. And I know we've had our injuries, but right now there is definitely favoritism at play. Like yeah, let's, let's just be real about it right now. You're going to get Mount at the 10. You're going to get William at the right side, even if he deserves a break. You're going to you're going to get Zuma as one of your center backs and Aspie on the right or the left. That yeah, those those are not changing, team. whether fatigue plays in, whether whatever's on the pitch calls for something else. And hopefully, again, we do have the transfer window in January. Loftus-Cheek is training outdoors again. I'm hoping that when everybody's healthy, Tomori's out ill or whatever it is, when the team is healthy again, I, I want to see our best yes players in form playing and i hope that lampard will get back to that because yeah unfortunately right now we don't have that flexibility and it i don't want to keep hearing frank saying that he's playing the best players when that might not be the case because reese james didn't play this last match and he's been lights out so yeah yeah and i mean kind of where i am with with frank is that He's still a young manager, guys, right? right. He, he's still making those mistakes. He's still learning on the fly. So we can't expect him to come into this job and be perfect. I think people are walking in and seeing Frank and trying to expect him to pull off a Zidane. Well, Frank doesn't have a Cristiano Ronaldo that he could literally build a team around. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that. We don't have that transcendent attacking talent that we could build a team around. Maybe Tammy's that player a couple years from now, but certainly not yet. Pulisic and Willian aren't necessarily the complementary players that a world-class striker needs to have to perform at the highest level week in and week out. And, um, you know, it, it, that's just the fact. We cannot expect Frank Lampard to do all these miracles and to continue this miracle run throughout the rest of the season. I've always maintained the point. We'll see what this team's really made of when we hit a rough patch. This is our rough patch. Let's see what we're made of. Let's see if we could get ourselves out of it. I think the next two or three matches going into the transfer window is going to tell a lot about the guts of this team because now these players are going to be looking at it. Oh, shit. Now we could buy players. We know the club is looking at world-class talent. We know the names they're being linked with. The Jaden Sanchos, the Timo Werners. Shout out, to, shout out to Andres and his Koulibaly, you know, pipe dream that he has. But those are the types of players that we're being linked with now. We're not getting linked with the Baki Yokos anymore. That's not happening. Chelsea Football Club has money. And we also have players to fill in those other positions that we would have spent 30, 40 million on. Now we can just pile up that 34 million on another striker or another winger or a world-class midfielder. And I think that might threaten this squad a little bit. Um, Tammy Abraham after the match, who's on his hands and knees. I mean, like, like visibly upset. That's a guy that wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, uh, uh, Pulisic saying it's unacceptable after the match. Frank Lampard in the press conference. I absolutely love that. The guy was just as disappointed as we were, and he even said, you know, this is one of those matches where we really needed the fans. But guess what? The players didn't give the, give the fans anything to cheer about. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's, that's something that a manager needs to say in a press conference after a tough loss like this. That's good management on his part. So there are things that he's doing well, but for us to go out there and assume that everything's going to be roses and rainbows and butterflies right mm-hmm. off the bat, is it, it, it's foolish. Zach, before I, I'm gonna about to tune out, but I just want to say what you said right now is the most reasonable, rational, non-reactionary take you can possibly have on Frank Lampard right now. 
Like <laughs> if you if if you like if you think that, then you're a normal person. And if you are trying to say Lampard out, then you're insane. That's I think that's that's the moral of my story. For like, everybody, right, you 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 laid it out perfectly, and I think that if people can just re-listen to that last minute that you just said and just play it on a loop while they're sleeping they'll kind of like (laughs) they'll re they'll re they'll retrain their brain to be like okay this is what our normal reaction should be some brains can't be retrained yeah all right well (laughs) i'm gonna head out i don't know you guys love you i don't know why why what sam said reminded me of dexter's laboratory when i was a little kid there was an episode where he tries to learn french and the cd (laughs) like scratches and it gets stuck on how to say ham, uh, eggs with cheese. So all he could say is omelette du fromage. And like that's all he can say. And and that's when it was that stuck for him. <laughs> <laughs> because Tom said you put it in your sleep and you hear it in loop. And oh, it'll change the way oh. to think. So that's that's the first thing that like just totally shot me at being seven years old again. But anyway, um, the one other thing I was going to say that it didn't work out to his advantage this time. But Frank finally put me. Ishii and Tammy on the pitch at the same time yeah. and I was wondering when is this going to happen because when we do have to chase results sometimes you need both of those guys in what I was hoping would have happened in this match is if you're going to put both of those players in it would be nice to have our best crosser into the pitch and Reese wasn't one of the subs so would have uh, made sense if I'm, he was one of the subs and right. I don't think I don't think this I don't think it would have uh, uh, necessarily upset the squad if a guy like Dave came off for a player like Reese James. And don't get me wrong, Callum Hudson Odoi's is not a bad crosser in his own right yeah. either. But if mm-hmm. let's say we switch to a four four two and the subs are Mishi, Callum, and Reese, and they came on for I don't know um, Mount, Willian, and Dave. That there's no trans, there's not, it's not an ugly transition. You have Pulisic on the left, Cho on the right, a midfield two of Jorginho Conte, which you already had, another versatile crosser in Reese James, and you have an extra forward. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, a lot to talk about, Andres, but guess what? Um, there is another match next week, and we'll get to talking about that in a second. But before we do, just a quick word from uh, our new sponsor. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Cool. So uh, we do want to move on. Let's talk about these uh, these transfer rumours. So some of them silly, some of them not so silly. Um, first one up, Andres. Um, I, we know how Sam feels about this because he's always been a big fan of his. But uh, Wilfred Zaha to Chelsea. That just seems like the rumor that won't go away. It's the easiest one um, to uh, visualize, I guess, because Zaha's already in London. Um, what price would make this move worth it for you? Um, I think it's a bit of both things. I need the price to be right. Like eighty million to me is hard to swallow. Seventy is too much. Even either even sixty would be pushing it. Sixty might be the highest I would go because he is uh, a homegrown player and Premier League proven, yada yada yada. But the thing that I need to see for this to make sense for me is I want Saha not to be just a straight up winger if he's going to come here. Like I want him to be potentially option two or option three as a striker or a second striker because I still think that Chelsea need to get a higher potential winger in 
Sancho or somebody else in the in the summer transfer window. So if you're going to get Zaha, I need to know that the concrete plan is that Zaha is going to be a second striker that can maybe play out on the wing. A complimentary I, player. Exactly. I don't want yeah. him to be our starting right back or the guy we're going to depend or right wing, or the guy we're going to depend on to win games from the wing. No, I want him to be, like you said, a tandem player, whether he's coming in as a striker against lower sides or as a second striker if we want to play a 4-4-2 something along those lines i want to know that the plan is for zaha to be a different version of a number nine that can also play winger not a winger first and foremost so those are the two things that would make me be able to like swallow the pill because again i don't think he's the player we need so if you're telling me Giroud leaves we get zaha at a decent price and the next thing i know zaha's playing a alongside Mishi or Tammy or even starting on his own at the nine, then I'd be like, okay, this is making a little bit more sense. sense now. Yeah. For me, for me, the whole Zaha thing, and, and this is the thing people get twisted. I just want to make it clear. Chelsea is not going to buy Zaha and Zaha is not going to turn into Sadio Mane. It is not the same thing. I've been seeing a lot of comparisons of, you know, when Mane came to Liverpool from Southampton. And let's not forget, when Mane came to Liverpool from Southampton, we knew that there was potential for him to be something special. But he, he, he right now, he's he's one of the best players in the Premier League. He's, he's Liverpool's best player up to this point this season. Wilfred yeah. Zaha's not going to be that kind of player for us. Because that's not the way... Uh, it, 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 it doesn't have a ring to it. You know, th- there's just no <laughs> other way to kind of put it, man. Like, it just... It doesn't – Zaha's not going to come into the Chelsea side and put up a season where he scores uh, 20 goals and gets nine assists or ten assists. two or three right now in the league. Exactly. And, and he's Frank, a week, every week starter. And, and, and I think Frank is hinting something to the board. He keeps mentioning Hazard replacement. Hazard replacement. Hazard hasn't been gone a long time, guys. Let's not forget how good he was. If we're going to replace him – you got to get somebody that has a potential to be as good as him, right? And I think that's the point you're trying to make, Andres, where guys like Jaden Sancho and Timo Werner, young, productive, but also very, very high ceilings, world-class potential, right? I think with Timo Werner, that's a guy who has the potential to be one of the best attackers in Europe, period, bar none, if if he isn't already, Um but 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 that's the issue I have with the whole Zaha transfer. Now, Andres, like your situation, if Zaha comes in as a complimentary player, maybe to fight for the left-hand side with Pulisic and then Cho and William could duke it out on the right, then maybe that makes a lot of sense. But for 60 to go after a guy for 60 million and to have him be a complimentary piece, I don't necessarily think that's the right price tag in any way, shape, or form. Um, another rumor that's not going away someone well, hold, i don't hold on before we move out of this one the other thing i just want to say is like we've been through this kind of thing before we bought a yeah. danny drink water overpaid him and he just rotted away a player that was great for a mid-table side in leicester mm-hmm. and, and and sometimes you're just a big a quote-unquote medium-sized fish in a small pond and then you go to a big pond like chelsea and you just you just don't do it and unfortunately that's what i think of zaha like it has I, a slight hint of like a potential Pedro in there. And Pedro wasn't a bad player for us, but w- w- fans are going into this with the impression that Zaha is going to be the all hailing savior. That's going to put up a 40 plus goal contribution season. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's the last thing I wanted to say is like, we yeah. have we not 
learned from overpaying for middle table talent? Like, have we not? And look, if we're going to go after a guy that's more experienced, because I understand the logic in going after a guy like Zaha because he's experienced and he's proven, like you said. But if we're going to go after that type of player and we're going to go after, you know, that profile of a player, get someone in with Champions League experience at least or with title winning credentials. Someone that's won the league somewhere else in Europe. Someone that's done something big and notable in their career. Crystal Palace, yes. I mean, it's a respectable club, I guess. But And Zaha's been great there. He's been their best player for the last five years or so. But he's not the player to come in and give us Hazard-like production. It's just another situation of Chelsea spending a lot of money on a player, fans getting way too high on a player, putting unreasonable expectations on his shoulders, being disappointed, slating the player, then hating him, and absolutely destroying him, and then that player not having any type of career at Chelsea. Does that sound familiar, Andres? (laughs) Yes. So, um, moving on to our next, that's how I feel about Zaha. Moving on to our next, uh, our next player that kind of won't go away, Nathan Ake. We talked about him a little bit last week. Rumors are still around this week. Um, you know, despite his injury, he's still being linked with us somehow. Andres, for some reason, you think this is still happening, don't you? Yeah, it, but. I think we're trying to play a game of 3D chess here with with the Ake transfer. So here's kind of how I've been I've been trying to understand it, right? So Ake is, you know, he plays center back for Bournemouth. He's left-footed. I mentioned this last week. Uh, he has a little bit more of the leadership to him. But again, I go back to the fact that he is right now has been in a, the best player in a middle mid-table team. Uh, the here's the thing, center backs. <laughs> Here's the thing. Ake is also a target for Manchester City. We have a release clause deal for Ake where we can say, hey, we want him back and we take him. I'm thinking now that Chelsea is just signing a player to prevent a rival from having him. Am I saying like Ake is trash and he wouldn't play? No, I'm not saying that. If anything, let's say we don't sign any other center backs. This just to me, says Christensen's out in the summer because Ake has proven he has a physicality in the Premier League. And actually, he can score some goals, which Christensen is yet to do in a Chelsea jersey. So is it the world-class Koulibaly center back? No. Do we need him? Is he going to make a direct impact right now? No, he's injured. But we can prevent one of our direct rivals, Man City, who is, I think, five or six points above us, from getting a guy that they desperately need. So I think Chelsea's honestly playing uh, a little bit of 3D chess. Come back to your childhood club. It's Frank Lampard in charge, not Antonio Conte. Your boy Loftus-Cheek has made it into the first team. You could make it into the first team. Doesn't Why feel not right, come though. home? It still doesn't feel right, though. Your pipe dream of Koulibaly is dead in the water if we bring in a Nathan Ake. Oh, oh, trust me. I'm very aware of that. Yeah, I, it's... I'm very aware of it, but this is the only... Like I said, for me to understand this Ake thing, either Frank Lampard or maybe it's Jody that's whispering in his ear, either they rate him that high to where they're like, nah, this guy's the answer, or we're just playing the game, like the business game. We're playing chess here. We're taking a guy, kind of like how we snuck William out of Tottenham last second, and it just worked out decent for us. But maybe it's like one of those things where another team is sniffing around and we're like, nah, we have a chance of taking him last minute. Let's Let's do that. 
40, 40 million in today's market is is good for a squad player that's got Premier League experience. Like that's how I'm seeing it. It's a business. It's like a it's a business move. So, um, two of our big name targets that I mentioned earlier faced off this weekend. What a game! Three three draw three between three. Uh, Leipzig and uh, and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Jaden Sancho goal and an assist. Timo Werner two goals one assist. Andres, I am still sticking with my guns. I would rather not buy anybody this January if that means we can go full on for one of these two guys. I want both of them. Why just one? <laughs> Give me both. Give me both. You, God, that like, would be amazing. Like, and again, let's say Mount doesn't get his crap together, and we and Frank pushes on with a four-two-three-one. Could you imagine Sancho, Pulisic, Cho, or Willian, even Willian, in the three led by Tammy or Timo Werner? Or hell, let's say we play a super offensive 4-4-2, and it's Pulisic, Timo Werner, Tammy, Sancho. Mm. Shit. (laughs) These I'm, guys having, are wet, so I'm having wet dreams of thinking about Werner running off of Tammy's flicks. Right? Tammy brings the ball down, quick turnaround, pass through. Werner speeds by a center back. Because here's the other thing. Werner is not a, a, a slim build. Like, he's built kind of like an Aguero where he's a little, little stockier Stocky. for a shorter yeah. guy. Yeah, and he's strong, and he, center of gravity. He scores, he scores a pretty goal. He scored two ugly goals, but they were you have to be in the right place at the right goal. time. Yeah. Yep. So, hold on. That, that, that goal, just, oh. that goal that he scored, where he just hit it one time. So, like, uh, uh, was it the keeper that spilled it to him? Yeah, yeah. The, it was yeah. two keeper mistakes, but they weren't easy. Like by any so, means, it wasn't like tapping from two yards out. Keeper spills it to Werner. Werner's about what, maybe forty yards out, and hits it one time into the center of the yep. net. He doesn't take yeah. a touch. He doesn't try to dribble around the keeper. Just one, like that's a man on top of his game. Throw 150 million at Leipzig. That way they can use that goals. money. They can use that money to fend off all the suitors. So Man United doesn't get fucking Holland. Holland could go to RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig's happy. Chelsea's happy. That's a deal and a match. That's a match made in heaven, Andres. It's a match made in heaven. League goals in December. The deal makes sense for everybody involved. Yeah, but we're Chelsea. We could have had Obama Yang if a deal made sense for everyone from Dortmund, but we yeah. we didn't make that happen, did we? Uh, so no, no, yeah, we got the better striker. Ali Giroud, baby. Uh, oh. Hey, we beat Obama Yang head to head. But yeah. Anyway, the the two guys are fantastic. They both are definitely now. They need. The, I know, right? To, they're not going to come in January. Both of them. They tied. They're still both very much in Champions League. They're both – both of their teams are top of the league fighting for the Bundesliga when Bayern is now in like fifth or sixth place. There's zero chance, much like in the Chilwell effect, where they're not leaving their current side yet. But good God, if we can just do a Pulisic-style agreement, keep them till the end of the season. Win your trophy with them. You know you're going to sell them next summer anyway. Sell them yeah. to us. Make Three that players. Team. Make that reach. Oh, by the way, you're going to need somebody. Look, I got Mishi. He scored a few goals for Dortmund. I'll send him your way. And he scored goals at Dortmund. That's what I'm saying. For Dortmund. Like, yeah. he's, he knows the Bundesliga. 
Yeah, he knows. Even if he goes to Leipzig, I think he'll do well. That's what I'm saying. He should do well anywhere else but at Chelsea. I feel like at this point. (laughs) Um, But that—that's just how I feel about those two guys. They're yeah. Those two and Chilwell. God, I hope we whoever's we better be fighting tooth and nail to whichever other clubs want those guys, and and be just completely blown out of the water by a bid if we don't get them. Like that's how I feel about these guys. Like these are these guys are a must. Yeah. So um, moving on, we got a uh, we got a question from our from our man Ron, aka Bone Daddy, Cool Bone Daddy Deluxe. Uh, since we got the ban lifted, and this, uh, I Andres, I, I cannot totally decipher. Missed, I, I think this question. Got, oh, it got moved. It goes. So I'll read it. I, I'll read it. So since we got the ban lifted, and this recent form has hit, are we going to buy smart? Or just do what we usually do and just spend money in a bad way. And what about our loan army? So the way our I loan army is not really an army anymore, is it? Well, I, I think he's talking about the fact that everyone now is is on the Jeremy Boga release clause train again. Because oh, so just here's because this guy comes out with a quote that says he's better than fucking Lionel Messi every now and then. Uh, well, Boga recently came out and said that. He knew that when he was breaking through to the first team, that Pedro and William were ahead of him in the pecking order, not because they were better, but because of their experience, and that he could have stuck around, but then he ended up leaving. This is obviously under Conte. He left. Then he had a game where he had something like 11 dribbles, and it turns out that we have a buyback clause of something like 3 million euro. So people are freaking out. Like, oh, we have this ready guy. He used to be our academy's best player and blah, blah, blah. Like, was he one of our academy's best players? Yeah, hell yeah, he was. But so they, was I Izzy think, Brown. So was Dom Solanke. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like, I think it, the argument now, people are like, oh, we can just get Jeremy Boga and not spend money on Zaha. And it's like, that's not, that's not how it works here. Like, that's yeah. not how it works. Um, again, Zaha's the premier league experience at the end of the day the guy can actually dribble past premier league defenders boga yeah. had a good 20 minutes before a red card against burnley that's his premier league career literally that's it so, <laughs> so i'm sorry like after that red card cahill ruined it you had 20 him. minutes and a red card that's but it. not his red card cahill got well, a red well, card so well, he was well, cahill's down. red card but yeah, yeah but, but but i mean Andres, the guy had one good preseason game for Chelsea, and now everybody thinks he's like super legit. I I, I don't want to waste any time talking about fucking Jeremy so, Bogo. Right, so that's why I want to go back to the question, Ron. Do I think we're gonna spend smart? I think we have the intention to, mm-hmm. which is better than before, because before it was like we're linked to Ashley Barnes, we're linked to Peter Crouch, to Andy Carroll, we're linked to the right names for once, and these these links are there's. There's fuel behind it. Like they seem legit. Yeah. Are we gonna do it? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't. January so. is tough. Like we want all the right names. We want to get them. We have the money for it. It's gotta just the be timing. careful. It's not right. We Timing's not careful. right. We're not. We're not gonna get them now. And then if we do need reinforcements now, that's when I think that the territory of spending poorly comes in because then we're just gonna throw money at anybody that can jump, kick a ball, and run. And yeah. so, 
Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think we have the right intention. I think desperation might be a thing if we don't fix our form. I hope that's not the case. I think mm-hmm. we can still get top four with the squad we have once they're healthy, but we don't we don't make those decisions. So I, I'm I'm ho- I'm hoping that because we have the right intentions, we'll also have the right mentality that we can also play the waiting game a bit. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next question, we got a uh, Envard asks us uh, headed to my first match at the bridge on February eighth. Where should I sit? Um, so, you know, I guess I'll volunteer to answer this since I'm the only one on this podcast that's been to a match at the bridge. Um, Rub it in. Rub it in. I did, I did do a stadium tour, so I got to see like a view from, from, you know, uh, each stand. Um, but when I went and saw Spurs, uh, two years ago, I sat in the West stand, um, uh, West stand lower. And, uh, I, it, it was fantastic. The atmosphere there was, uh, it, it was nice. It was a little calmer because we were getting blown out that day, but nonetheless, uh, gotta be honest. If you've never been to Stanford bridge before, um, the first time you go, you will probably be surprised at how small it is in person. Right. It's, it's not a massive stadium by any means. It's not a domina- a domineering stadium by any means. It doesn't, you don't stand, uh, you know, on pitch side and and look straight up into the stands. It's it's not very big. It's actually small and quite cozy, um, and, and it has a mystique about it that's just absolutely beautiful. But that's beside the point. Basically, Envard, yeah. you could sit and anywhere there, and you'll pretty much. I have was a gonna good, say that. A good view. In my defense, I've done the stadium tour twice in my lifetime, but I mm-hmm. haven't gotten to go to a match. But yeah, the stadium, the way it's built is it's small, but the way the seats are placed is that you feel like you're on top of the pitch no matter where you're sitting so yeah it the the fans are very much on top of the pitch no matter where the seat is so man just get the ticket get get your butt to the game go don't don't fret don't fret that you might not get the best seat because i don't think for for people like us that don't have the privilege to make it to many game matches you're you're gonna be having the time of your life regardless Uh, you you won't have a bad to use an american phrase um if you sit in a quote nosebleeds at stanford bridge you'll still have a pretty damn good view and uh and and i don't think it'll really feel like you're sitting in a nosebleeds because it's not it's it it's not what you think it's not what you think (laughs) anywhere anywhere you sit there is a good spot andres i mean i mean that's the way i felt and when, when we did our stadium tour he actually took us to our tour guide took us to the to the Matthew Harding upper, and we were able to see a view from behind the goal. And even that view was fantastic. I mean, you could see every blade of grass from pretty much any seat in the stadium. So anywhere you sit's yeah. a good seat, Envard. Uh, but when you do finally get your ticket, make sure you let us know what game you're going to. That would be uh, it would be really awesome to hear your take on that uh, the following podcast. So like a little incentive for you, um, Andres. I want to save this next part to next week. Well, okay. I really do. I Sounds really good. do because I want Sam to get in on this and I would hate for him to not be left out of this. So we'll just kind of leave it up to the listeners uh, to, you know, wait until next week to find out what that is. Well, but how actually, how about this? How about this? Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, tweet at us, your Chelsea team of the decade, choose mm. a formation and choose your players and we'll leave it to three honorable mentions because I know we had probably like three different teams that you're probably going to be picking players from. So 
formation. And please do a realistic one. Don't throw like a two seven one. Like no no no. Like you know a typical formation. No, no. You the could players. throw in like a you you could throw in like a twenty thirteen Diego Costa. Well, right. What I'm saying yeah. is, what I'm saying is, don't don't give me a formation that's two defenders, seven midfielders, and one forward. Like, make it yeah. realistic so that you know it keeps it fun. Uh, choose your players, and then two, three honorable mentions. We'll read yours and compare them to ours next week, and, and we'll just we'll do that next week, right before you know, post maybe post Boxing Day, right before New Year's. We'll we'll take a look back at the decade that was, you know, 2010 to 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Great ad lib, Andres. Much, much better than me. Um, I'm not very good at catching my mistakes on the fly and correcting them. Um, but, but moving on to our last section here, um, just really quickly, we got Spurs coming up. Now, probably the worst fucking time to play Tottenham Hotspur all season long. Why could we not play them six weeks ago? Man, we never get Tottenham at the right time. It, you know, it's we always get them during this typical early winter lull yeah. that Chelsea likes to have but we're we're hosting them at the bridge and good old No, no, no. We're going oh, we're, oh, going we're going to White Hart Lane. We're going to the White Hart Lane. Okay, and we're yeah. visiting jo- Jose. So We're not visiting Jose. We're going there with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that. I hope that's at least I hope that's the kind of energy that these guys bring. I I'm not necessarily so. Okay. I think losing to Tottenham would feel a lot worse than all four of these last four losses combined. Losing to Spurs is the worst feeling that I can possibly feel as a not only a Chelsea fan, but as a football fan. Watching that team succeed in any way, shape, or form makes me sick. <laughs> There's no other way to put it, Andres. So to lose to them would make... It would probably send me into a full-on meltdown, not because I expect to beat them, but just because the last couple of weeks have been so disappointing. If we go out there and put on a shit performance similar to the one we had against Burnley, we'll get white. We'll get waxed like maybe four nil, no problem. Son hat trick, Harry Kane chips in with you know a pair of assists or something. I I, I can totally see that happening, but at the same time, I can see Chelsea being fired up by the loss. I mean, I said earlier, Tammy Abraham. Down on his hands and knees after the match against Bournemouth, visibly frustrated. Maybe the other players in the in the dressing room are visibly frustrated as well. As Piliqueta said, it was unacceptable. Frank absolutely roasted them in a press conference. They are definitely not coming out half-assed against Tottenham. And I think that's the thing that's giving me some sort of comfort going into this game, is knowing that this team is so young that they've... I think they understand the rivalry with Spurs, especially recently, because they're actually the first generation of Chelsea players or Chelsea youth players that come through and truly understand the Chelsea-Tottenham rivalry. Because I feel like when we had Jose in his second runaround, that, that rivalry took on a whole new dimension. I mean, I remember there was one game against Spurs where they had like they had about 30 fouls in uh, in the whole match, and it was literally Eric Dyer going studs up into anybody that was within you know a slide tackles distance away. Like it it got really chippy against them at one point. So I think these Chelsea players know um, how much this match means to the fans. And hey, if anyone knows how much it means, it might it, it, it's Frank. It is Frank. Um, so. Uh, what are we feeling going into this? What's your gut telling you? 
Man, I I'm not I'm not very confident. I'm not gonna lie. I know that there's a the match that comes to mind is the Man U Spurs match. And if we watch that, we should have a blueprint on how to beat Jose's Spurs. But man, like I I need to see if I see a four two three one, we're not winning. Like I'll say it right now. If I see a four two three one, I don't think we win. So if we run a four two three one, if I see a four two three one, we're losing one nothing. Because here's what Mourinho is gonna do. He's gonna get his early goal, and then that's it. That's all he's gonna want. He's not gonna try to go toe to toe. He is gonna say, "We're good. Park it. Let's just suffocate them for the rest of the game." Son and Lucas on the flanks. Harry Kane up top. Yeah. Deli Alley behind. Everybody I mean, go just, back and defend. You can see it. Yeah. Sissoko, Winks, Dyer, you guys stay back, and we'll just absorb it because, yeah, that's just what we're going to do, and then we'll just play the long ball to Son and Lucas. Give me a score. one nothing Spurs. Oh, man. I predicted I, us to lose two. <laughs> I, I, but here's the thing. Like I said, I legit think that – Here's the way I want to say it. Like, we're now the team that needs to – like, I always say we need to score first when we play the smaller teams because I know – we all know what the smaller teams are going to do against the top four side if they score first. I know for a fact Mourinho is just going to park the bus this time around. Like, it's written in the stars that if he scores an early goal, that's it. That's all he needs. He yeah. said – he said he's so infamous for saying that. Uh, you win a – game five nothing or one nothing it's still three points to do yeah. it against his old side against his three protege po- you that could hear him going him- three points is three points yeah 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 so okay so, i mean i was gonna prefer i was gonna say that you know i don't feel confident going in but you know what fuck you andres chelsea one nil i think actually no spurs are gonna score a goal i'm gonna say chelsea two one because i think there's no way in hell that we're gonna keep the ball out of our net um, but I'm going to go two on Chelsea. I think for some reason we're going to dig, we're going to dig deep and we're going to score some goals in this match. Maybe might not win, but I think we'll definitely score some goals and create some chances because even Frank said, we can't be playing like a bunch of pansies and he didn't say it like that, but that's basically <laughs> the essence of, of what he was trying right. to say. We cannot play like a bunch of pansies anymore. We have to go at teams. We got to play fearless. That's when we were at our best when we were playing that naive attacking football. And I think that's what we're going to do against Spurs. Now, another thing, I don't want to get too technical, but this is giving me some sort of confidence. Chelsea does play better against teams that go at them. We do not play well against teams that sit back. West Ham, Bournemouth, Everton, right? Um, right. Everton Everton went at us and punched us in the mouth. That was just a disaster class. But I'm talking about matches like Man City where we created Liverpool. a hell of a lot of chances. Liverpool, same thing. Man United, first half, same thing. You know, when teams go at us and leave spaces in behind for us to attack, we have the players that can help create chances. But it's a matter of us converting. And like Psalm said, our conversion rate is absolute dog shit at the moment. So, um, you know, who knows? What could, what's going to happen in this game? But let's just hope that we get some sort of performance from the guys. I think this is the first Tottenham match in a long time where in the grand scheme of things, yeah, maybe it doesn't have, you know, the same implications. I know there's a top four implications, you know, mixed in with this. But, hey, guess what? 
our team is still the same team that we were talking about early on in the podcast. We're young. We have young players. We have low knees that came back. We still have Sari's leftovers. It, it, this is not even close to the finished product. Let's just see what type of energy they give us. Um, but anyways, what a podcast, Andres. <laughs> we've had a lot of good conversations in the last like two weeks. I feel like we've put out some stellar performances, unlike some of our Chelsea comrades. <laughs> um, but uh, nonetheless, always a pleasure having you on. I'm glad Sam could jump on randomly. That was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, until next week, guys, uh, make sure you follow us Romans at Romans Empire Pod. We're on Twitter. You could also follow us on SoundCloud. Um, make sure you guys actually check out the CFC Blues app. Um, Andres and I downloaded it last week. And to be honest, it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, and it doesn't only uh, have all your Chelsea needs, but it has your general footballing needs as well. You can also check out, you know, uh, uh, other leagues and other teams as well. So. It's really awesome. Make sure you guys check it out. The guys over there are great. Um, And until next week, guys, keep the blue flag flying high and fuck Tottenham.